This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. We had a successful youth turkey hunt despite poor weather. A Vietnam-era vet is helping warriors who return from battle or deployment, and he's using an old Wild West-themed food festival to help raise money. And Missouri is all in for recreational pot. We'll talk with one of the companies that is benefiting from the millions of dollars spent already on marijuana products. That's all coming up. But we head to the Capitol first with uh, Lisa Nelson, who has been updating us here in this final week of the legislative session. Alisa, I was going to really rail on you today because you have been talking all week about how busy you guys are. And then I see that uh, at the House of Representatives the other day, uh, Mizzou Athletic Director Desiree Reed Francois is there along with the football coach Eli Drinkwitz. Oh, this is a big party. They're bringing in the coaches. And what are they recognizing? What is a bunch of fluff here? I thought they were supposed to be busy. Well, turns out they're there because of some new legislation that could help Missouri high school athletes. So you're off the hook. There was some business going on. I thought it was just uh, playtime, but uh, that, <laughs> that was not the case. Maybe some of that, too. Yeah. <laughs> but no, uh, yeah, they were there lobbying uh, for that bill to pass, and it sure did. It didn't take much. Yeah, so they're updating the state's name, image, and likeness law. What would this bill do? Well, it would let high school athletes uh, score endorsement deals as soon as they sign up to play for a Missouri college or university. So it has to be in state. Ah. Um, yeah. So so there is that restriction there to keep them in state. And then it would also let uh, coaches here and school employees negotiate endorsement deals for college students. So you said it passed pretty quickly. What did the lawmakers have to say about this? You know, there wasn't that much discussion about it during final passage in the House this week. Um, State Representative Curtis Gregory, of course, he's a former Mizzou football player. He led that whole effort. Um, And so here's what he had to say. Um, This has been a long work, kind of a a three-year process in whole. If you remember back in 2021 was when NIL was uh, first up in, in its infancy, and so we started bringing it on. And what we're doing this year is really modernizing the program um, and, and really puts us to the top as far as NIL legislation across the country. And I want to make certain that our Missouri colleges and university have every tool in their tool belt to go out and recruit the nation's best and brightest. And on teams, you talk about, you know, you're only as good as your weakest link. And legislation like this makes everyone down here in the legislature be part of the team. And I want to make sure that we can do our part to ensure that our colleges and universities can be the best that they can. All right. Yeah, Curtis Gregory has been pushing uh, for a few years. In fact, we've had him on the show talking about uh, college athletes deserving to be paid. And now it's uh, moved down to the high school level. Um, So high school athletes, if they commit to a Missouri college or university, they can start getting paid while they're in high school, at least through endorsement deals. And then college coaches can help negotiate those. Any other key items in this bill? Well, uh, the overall bill actually aims to help uh, build and retain a skilled workforce in Missouri. So it's, it's, it's a little different. It would reimburse uh, employers who help their workers earn short-term certificates or credentials for high-need jobs. And so House Speaker Pro Tem Mike Henderson of Deloge is sponsoring that bill. So it's a little different, but it's attached to that, to that and it's done. They can check that one off the list. Yeah. All right. So that just needs uh, Governor Parsons' approval then to sign it. 
Exactly. That's okay. where the next stop is for yeah. that one. All right. Now, do you want to? So, yeah. Okay, good. So my question to you is, do you think this bill, this NIL update, do you think it'll make better sports teams in Missouri? Do you think it'll help keep Missouri uh, student athletes in the state? I think it helps uh, the Missouri states, the northwest Missouri states, the central Missouris. Um, no, no disrespect to those schools, but when you get to the Division II level or that low D1 level, these schools are a dime a dozen. So if I'm good enough to play at Missouri State, I'm probably good enough to play at Arkansas State, uh, Illinois State. Uh, if I'm deciding between you know Central Missouri or going over into Kansas and playing at Fort Hay State, I, I can play at either one. Um, but if it's kind of a flip a coin situation, and I know that maybe my senior year of high school, I can make a little extra money if I go to Central Missouri, I, I think that's where um, there's probably a a big advantage for our schools. But for Mizzou, I, I really don't think so. Um, it, 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 there's a couple things here. I'm, I'm thinking this off the top of my head here, so I, I could be off base. But if, if Governor Parson signs this and this becomes part of this, I, I can really see this being taken to court because you're going to take a kid from rural Missouri who's going to sign to play at a Missouri institution in his senior year. He's going to make, what, a few thousand bucks, maybe doing some radio commercials uh, um, you know, for a local car dealership. And then you're going to get an inner city kid from Kansas City who's going to say, wait a minute, next year I, I want to play basketball for Bill Self at Kansas. But because I live here in Missouri, you're telling me the top five recruit that I have to come to Mizzou to start making my money sooner? My, my family needs it now. I and I want to go to Kansas. Um, I, I can see that being an issue, and I can see that coming up in court somehow. I, I would love to hear more from Curtis Gregory about how the bill works around that stuff. Uh, if it doesn't go, if it doesn't go that far, where people would would sue on discrimination, does it help Mizzou? I don't think so, because that recruit is going to go back to Dennis Gates and say. Look, are you going to pay me over six figures like Kansas is so I can go play basketball there? And, and Mizzou can't keep up with them. So you're, you're still, you still have on the division one level. It's just too big. You've got the, the schools that are always going to pay Alabama in football, Texas A&M in football. They're always going to outpay. Mizzou will never be able to compete. And the amount of money that a high school kid can make for a year or a year and a half, uh, it's not gonna. It's not gonna help unless because you're you're able to do it a, a little bit sooner. Um, but then again, I, I think anybody that that's here that wants to move out of state and say, "Hey, wait a minute, that's that's discrimination. You can't stop me from from making money off my name, image, and likeness." I, I could see a legal battle there. But again, I don't know. You know what, what what's kind of the, the wording of it. But that's my that's my initial thoughts on this. I don't think it helps Mizzou. I think it helps our smaller schools. Sometimes you got to think about okay, where is where can I get the most development out of my time? You know, um, at a big school, at a uh, you know mid level or whatever um, to get me. You know, if if that person is capable of going to the pros, yeah, um, um, and making millions, <laughs> yeah, um, then then what do you, is it really going to lure you to stay in the state? So, huh. 
We shall see. Yeah, interesting. All right, good segment. Good way to good way to wrap up. Good stuff. All right. All cool. right. Well, we'll catch up soon. That's Elisa Nelson at I, the Capitol. Yeah. I was going to say. I mean, uh, I mean, I I was recruited left and right back in the day to play <laughs> play pro volleyball, and I could have been this huge, you know, volleyball star at five foot six. You would you would have done a bang up job at uh, Peru University in uh, Peru. I think it was Peru College, isn't it, in Nebraska? Yeah, yes, yeah, Peru you're... College. I would have done a great job warming that bench. Let me tell you, <laughs> scout team at Peru. At least it else volleyball extraordinaire. <laughs> uh, all right, we'll take care. Don't work too hard. All right, you too. All right. Show me the day. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. If you talk and they will hear you Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking beer in the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try the United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org.
This is Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. Coming up Saturday the 27th, it'll be the 12th annual Wagons for Warriors event in Lebanon, a fundraiser started by Steve Hall to help the Wounded Warriors Project. Steve, welcome to Show Me Today. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I know it will be a whole weekend event, and we'll get into the stuff on Friday and Sunday. But first, just explain Wagons for Warriors and what will take place on Saturday the 27th. Okay. Uh, on Saturday the 27th, we will uh, Wagons will be set up, and they'll start cooking early in the morning. Uh, we'll sell wristbands. Actually, it's a donation. You get a wristband, and at that t- point, you can come in and walk around, look at the wagons, and at noon, we will uh, start serving, and you will be able to get a sample of food off of each wagon there. Uh, We will also have uh, Indians from uh, Delaware. They're the Nanticoke Indians, and they drive down here from Delaware and do a powwow for us each year, and so you'll you'll be able to see that, and that's just a few of the things that will be going on there on on Saturday. Now, these wagons, just to explain for listeners, these aren't like the little red wagons or the ones that you pull along when you're going to your baseball or softball tournaments. We're talking about those old 1800-type chuck wagon things. (laughs) These are all authentic chuck wagons that, that would have been used in the 1860s to 1880s on the cattle drives from Texas to other destinations to to drive cattle and um, a lot of these wagons are competition wagons so they're all uh, authentic and period correct and they'll uh, they'll be here from all over the united states steve uh, hall from wagons for warriors and we'll get into the uh, purpose for this event and you talk about these wagons coming from all over the country how many states are represented in, and how many wagons will be on display uh, on the 27th in lebanon as of right now, we have 30 wagons, and uh, they're actually coming from all over the United States. We have Arkansas, uh, Colorado, Georgia, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, Louisiana, uh, Oklahoma, Tennessee, and Texas, Alabama, and, of course, Missouri. So they actually come from all over the, all over the country. We've also had wagons here from Indiana, Alabama. Uh, uh, it's a, it's amazing how far these wagons come to set up and cook and help us uh, raise money for the uh, veterans in need. Yeah, Steve, I don't want to get off track here, um, but how do they transport these wagons? Well, uh, they'll pull them in a trailer. Uh, some of them are open trailers and some of them are enclosed trailers. But uh, they'll they'll haul them here in a trailer and uh, they unload them and set them up. So they'll fit right in the the back of a trailer. Okay, I didn't realize uh, you know how big we were. We're talking. It's been a long time since I've uh, been around the chuck wagon. Wagons for Warriors. Uh, Saturday the twenty seventh in Lebanon, uh, the twelfth year that you're doing this. Steve, how did you come up with this idea to help uh, wounded warriors? Uh, actually, we were competition cooking, and we've done a lot of that. At uh, met some friends at. Uh, Fort Worth, Texas, at the Red Steagall gathering, and uh, they invited us to come to Fort Sam Houston, uh, and this was uh, probably close to uh, twelve year, twenty years ago, probably when we started going to Fort Sam Houston and actually feeding the wounded warriors coming back from Afghanistan and Iraq, and uh, it was very humbling to, uh, to to be there and actually cook for those people, and uh, so on the way back one year. 
uh, me and Mitch Morgan, a good friend of mine, Vietnam veteran, uh, we decided, you know, look, we could do this at home. Uh, I, I'm a retired civil service from Fort. I worked in Fort Leonard Wood and civil service for uh, 32 years. But instead of having it at Fort Leonard Wood, I, we said, you know, we could do this in Lebanon and just feed the public and raise money and then donate the money to the uh, warriors in need. And we, when we started, we were calling it the, the uh, wounded warriors. But now then that the war's over, thank goodness. Uh, there's not a lot of young men coming home uh, and women wounded, but they're still in need. So that's why we uh, now we actually call it uh, Warriors in Need. But that's how that all got started. Uh, we And uh, we've been very fortunate. The first year we had five wagons and uh, we were in a different location. And when we seen that it was going good, we decided we better get a bigger location and uh, we called all the wagons to find out which would be the best time for them to travel to come here. And the uh, majority of them all said Memorial Day weekend. So uh, that's how that's kind of how this all started. Steve Hall, Wagons for Warriors on the 27th in Lebanon. And just think, 12 years ago, started with five wagons and now you're up to 30. And you're a Vietnam vet yourself, aren't you? I'm a Vietnam era veteran. OK, yes. yeah. I was so- in, the, in the Navy. Yeah, so this uh, this certainly hits home for you. Um, to talk about some of the other things that are going on Saturday, uh, Wagons for Warriors, there's a cooking class that's put on by a gentleman, Kent Rollins. Uh, what, will he, what will he be cooking up? Uh, Kent, now, now the cooking class is going to be on Friday, oh, May okay. 26th. Oh, all right. And, uh, yeah, the, the, at, right after our parade. And uh, Kent will be... Uh, cooking uh, he's going to demonstrate how to cook buttermilk biscuits and gravy and cowboy coffee and that will be at uh, one o'clock on the 26th of may friday gotcha and that's after the parade so all 30 wagons will be on display on friday in lebanon yes yes well we have a parade friday at 11 o'clock and it, it'll start at uh, the, the graven chrysler dodge dealership on old route 66 it's actually business 66 now but it'll start there and then travel about three miles down uh, route 66 to uh, where we'll all, where we'll be cooking at the Cowan civic center and the fairgrounds in lebanon all right and what are some of the things that will be cooked up in mean, 30 wagons there's going to be quite a quite a variety oh there's a there's a variety you just can't imagine uh There'll be everything uh, from hot dogs, and that sounds because the kids like hot dogs, so we have one wagon that likes to do those. But there will be chicken fried steak. Uh, there will be tacos. There will be beef tips. There will be chili. Uh, uh, succotash. One of one of our wagons does succotash uh, in a great big, huge skillet about the size of your car hood, uh, kind of like you see him doing at Silver Dollar City. But uh, he does that on the grounds. And, of course, that's a big draw. People love that. And uh, but just about anything you can imagine. Of course, there'll be homemade. There'll be cobblers. There'll be potatoes and beans. Uh, just a, a, a whole lot of stuff. <laughs> and, and it's all made out there uh, during the weekend. Right, right. It's all cooked there on site in Dutch ovens. And uh, of course, Kent, Kent Rollins again. He has a huge following. You know, he he beat Bobby Flay in the chicken fried steak throwdown. No kidding. And of course. Yes, and Kent's been on Food Network and Chopped, and uh, he has a huge following. And uh, this will be one of the uh, 
his uh, book signing tours. He has a new cookbook out. And so Ken will be there with his uh, cooking, of course, on Saturday as well. And uh, he'll have his cookbooks if anyone would like to have him sign it. Uh, he'll be there and be uh, more than happy to do that. All right. So let's kind of get this all set up here because I was bouncing around here. Uh, joining us is Steve Hall, Wagons for Warriors. It's a Memorial Day weekend uh, in Lebanon. Starting on Friday, there's a parade, uh, the cooking class with Kent Rollins. Uh, is there a charge for that if you take the class? Yes. If you want to go to his class, it's $30. Okay. And if, if you'd like to uh, make a, uh, arrangements to go to that, you can call Mitch Morgan at 417-288-9910. And Mitch will take your name and put you on a list, and it's like a will call list. You don't have to pay or anything until you get there. And then as soon as you get there, why you can, uh, they'll, they'll take your money, and the class is $30. And then, of course, Kent being the, the gentleman and, and the patriot that he is, he donates all the money from his class back to Wagons for Warriors. Oh, outstanding. And then on Saturday, uh, you'll have a variety of food from 30 different wagons uh, that are modeled from the 1860s to the 1880s. How much does it cost to get in on Saturday to help uh, the Warriors? Okay, on Saturday, it's a $15 donation. And that will get you in inside and let you go around and visit and look at the wagons and, and sample the food off of every wagon there. And it's important that I stress the, uh, that it's a sampling. Uh, you, we, we, you don't go in and get a full plate at one wagon. You go around and sample the food off of each <laughs> no. wagon. Yeah. Ah, that's good that to point out. But... Get to something. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you're going to get a little taste of everything at 30. Boy, listen, if, if you're leaving hungry after 30 wagons, you've, you've got an issue anyway, Steve. So, yeah, that'll be oh, great. I yeah. promise you can get full there. Yes, you can get full there. We have one lady from uh, Hamilton, Texas, and she makes a I don't know what she'll do this year, but she makes a tomato cobbler. And I know that sounds funny, but you can't tell it. It's be- it's wonderful. It tastes great. And she also makes a pinto bean pie, and you can't tell that from a pecan pie. I promise you. Mm. But there's some really cool stuff there, and really nice people. Uh, it, it's a it's a wonderful event. Yeah, and then Steve Hall from uh, Wagons of Warriors to wrap up the day on Saturday. There's an auction after dinner. What are some of the items that'll be up for bid? Okay, we have people that bring in all kinds of stuff uh, that they make tables out of wagon wheels. We've got belt buckles that's donated. Uh, one of one of the uh, people has donated a belt buckle. He's a spur bit and spur maker, and he made this belt buckle by hand. And some of the things that are on our Facebook page, if you'd like to see them, and that's at uh, uh, our Wagons for Warriors Facebook page. But there'll be quilts. Uh, Mitch uh, Morgan's wife makes a quilt each will each year, and uh, Linda Harmon from one of the uh, Indians from uh, Delaware, our Nanticoke Indian, she also makes a quilt. So there'll be a, a variety of different things for sale at the auction. All right, wagons for warriors, and then Sunday uh, the Cowboy Church around the Chuck wagons. Uh, the twelfth annual event uh, started up by Steve Hall to help uh, warriors uh, coming back that have been in duty that need some help. Uh, Steve, great work! Thank you for your service, and uh, best of luck with wagons for warriors. Well, thank you very much. We appreciate everybody coming, and uh, we hope to have a good year this year. Yeah, good luck. This is Show Me Today, the Voice of Missouri. 
Meet Ed, movie buff, animal lover, safe driver. Five years of driving an ambulance teaches you a thing or two. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. When I see a car trying to rush past the turning bus, I get concerned. You see, when big vehicles turn right, they have to swing wide to make the turn. And that's a lesson you don't want to learn the hard way. When trucks and buses turn, let's you and I wait. It's It's our our roads. It's It's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. If you're talking, they will hear you Why are we getting killed like this? Kyle's not here. Got caught drinking during the park a couple of nights ago. Really? Yeah. Zero tolerance. He's out for the season. Harsh. Hey, he knew not to drink. We've made that clear to all of our kids, right? Uh, no, not really. Bill, if we don't tell them what we expect and why they shouldn't drink, how are they going to know? Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. You try All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. Hi, it's Tori DeVito. In every family, small conversations can make a big impact. Like when my dad shared his experiences as an alcoholic. Your honesty about that part of your life gave me a sense of integrity that I wanted to uphold in my own life. I wanted you to know from someone who's been in recovery more than 30 years now that hard work is what creates success, not alcohol or other drugs. I said it a lot, and I'm glad you took it to heart. Talk. They hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. When it comes to vaping, the truth can get clouded. So let's make it clear. Vaping is not safe for kids, teens, or young adults. It's just not. Because vaping can put microscopic particles into your lungs. And dangerous things like metals and volatile organic compounds into your body. And nicotine, the same highly addictive substance found in regular cigarettes. Nicotine can harm a person's brain development through their mid-20s. Affecting learning, memory, attention, and impulse control. And priming the brain for other addictions. Vaping products also come in kid-friendly flavors that can make them appealing to youth. And many kids also use other drugs, like marijuana, in vaping devices. With appealing flavors, high nicotine levels, and lots of promotion on social media. Many kids think vaping is harmless, but it's not. So talk to your kids about the risks of vaping. Because when you talk, they hear you. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Email from school about the incident today. Scary. Tell me about it. Did you have any idea that was going on? None. I mean, you saw Derek at the game last night, too. Did you have a clue? No, but you know, teachers like me, parents, we don't always know as much as you guys do. Kids hear first about what's going on with other kids. Half the time, it's rumors. It can be hard to tell sometimes, but if you're ever concerned about a friend who's having trouble with alcohol, prescription drugs, bullying, violence, anything, you need to tell an adult. Mom or me, a teacher, coach, school counselor, someone you know and trust. Dad, no kid is going to tell an adult about that kind of stuff. I get it, but if we don't know, we can't help. Speaking up about a problem, that's what helping a friend is all about. For more information, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. 
We return to Show Me Today. The 14th annual Missouri Governor's Youth Turkey Hunt was a success despite poor weather on its opening day. The event emphasizes the importance of turkey hunting by teaching younger children with little or no hunting experience. Cameron Connor is with John Burke of the National Wild Turkey Federation to recap the event and describe why it's essential for the growth of turkey hunting. This was the 14th year, and it was initiated uh, by Dave Murphy, uh, who used to be the the executive director of Conservation Federation of Missouri, who's been very instrumental in, in putting this thing together, helping me put this thing together every year. And the purpose of it was is to, one, um, help achieve our three goals, recruitment, retention, and reactivation of hunters. So most of the kids that participate in these hunts have either never hunted before anything or at the very least they've never turkey hunted before. So that's we're trying to increase hunter numbers because that's the funding mechanism for conservation and the support mechanism at the capital. If, if you've got the more folks you have that are, you know, they understand and have a passion for hunting, uh, a lot less likely for bad things to happen at the capital that would threaten those, those privileges. Um, and then the the calling it the governor's youth turkey hunt it's the basically a way for the government to acknowledge uh, the importance of hunting uh, the importance of outdoor recreation and conservation to the citizenry of Missouri and particularly turkey hunting okay great and for the youth themselves since to your point a lot of these children that are getting into hunting haven't done it before, or at least very, very new into the process. So what were some of the skills that they were learning to prepare for this? Yeah. Um, Friday, uh, the orientation that we had at the United Sportsman's Club in Jefferson City every year is the afternoon prior to the opening of the youth spring turkey season. And we have the kids there, and we usually have from anywhere from 10 to 20. Uh, this year we had 15 that would be invited to attend that orientation. And we basically have three concurrent sessions. One is turkey biology. Um, one is how to, how to do the turkey calling. And then the final station is let the kids get, get the opportunity to shoot the guns that they're going to be hunting with. And then there's also, you know, all the, as those Prior to those going on, uh, you know, one of the, the county agent for Missouri Park Conservation is there talking about hunter safety and talking about the regulations associated with turkey hunting. So we kind of give them a crash course two or three hours uh, prior to the governor's reception at the governor's mansion that evening, and then the kids disperse for the weekend for their various camps. Okay, great. And for anyone who's just tuning in, this is Show Me Today, the Voice of Missouri. I'm Cameron Connor. We're here with one of the National Wild Turkey Federation's district biologists, John Burke, discussing the annual Missouri Governor's Youth Hunt. Basically, it's a session to reintegrate hunters back into the importance of it and to basically make sure that the, the hobby and everything or anyone who has a passion for it survives and thrives. So, John, one of the things that I love to touch on is there is so much collaboration to make this event happen, whether it's Missouri Governor Mike Parson himself, the National Wild Turkey Federation, you have the Missouri Department of Conservation involved. But one of the ones that really sticks out to me is private landowners, because this event's always held on private land every single year, correct? Absolutely. I mean, Missouri is a private land state. Ninety-three percent of it's under private ownership. And 
turkey hunting and deer hunting is is pretty special to a lot of landowners that that have the the, the blessing to be to to own land that contains deer and turkey and they're they're usually pretty uh you know pretty protective of those things and it's in my mind particularly with the turkey decline that we're experiencing it's extremely generous for these landowners to to offer this opportunity up uh, and we're we're thankful for it i mean it wouldn't this event wouldn't happen without them Okay, perfect. And I guess, so now let's talk about the recap of the 2023 event this year. How exactly did it go? I, From what I was reading, it seemed like maybe one of the days there was really high winds, but overall, it was, was it a success? It's been a success every year, but yes, it's uh, turkey hunting is an extremely weather-dependent activity, and unfortunately, Saturday was not a good turkey hunting day. It was sustained high winds from before the turkey started gobbling to basically it lasted all day and the turkeys are they they're nervous to begin with so when it's really windy um they they don't everything's moving and making noise so they're pretty quiet and you know even the ones that are gobbling when the winds are that high unless you're within 50 yards and you can't hear them anyway so it's makes for some pretty tough conditions and a percentage i don't know exactly it's probably maybe 25% 25% of the kids could only hunt Saturday, so they were kind of robbed of a of a pretty special opportunity. Sunday was gorgeous, so, um, you know, the kids that were able to stick around the whole weekend um, had a, you know, they they got a show because of the hunting conditions were ideal on Sunday morning. Okay, great, and once again, we're speaking with one of the National Wild Turkey Federation's district biologist, John Burke, here on Show Me Today. John, the question that I'd really love to wrap this interview up with is, and it it might sound like a general one, but I think it's highly important to to stress the importance of it. And why is turkey hunting and basically installing those skills and those habits in the youth of Missouri, why is that so important? Well, it's turkey hunting is pretty special to anybody that's ever experienced it. And that's been part of the purpose of the event is to, you know, get these youths the opportunity to experience that and that's there's just something special about turkey hunting the time of the year that it is you know everything's just kind of wake the landscape's waking up everything's you know started the leaves are starting to open some of the flowers are starting to bloom and you know that turkey gobble is kind of one of the sounds of the wild i mean when you when you hear it it's a pretty special thing and when you experience a successful turkey hunt with the turkey gobbling and coming closer and then the drumming starts in it's i mean it it'll it'll touch you and it's it it, usually if you can put somebody on an experience like that um you know you've lit a fire in them and that's in my mind you know and then that's not to say that bird watchers or or hikers or kayakers or anything don't, don't have a passion for what they do but it just to me personally experiencing it i think that you know, when you're a when you're a hunter, you just I think you're just a little bit closer to it, and a little bit more engaged in the process. And like I said, you're the funding mechanism. You, the the dollars that come in through uh, Pittman Robertson license say, or, or for Pittman Robertson, you know, the, the the hunting gear, the guns, the the ammo uh, that that's that's paying for conservation as is your hunting license. So, you know, that's the funding mechanism and. And, and, and also, a lot of these landowners that we're accessing, they own that land because of deer and turkey hunting. So uh, I think a hunter's just a little bit more engaged in the process because they're willing to put their money where their mouth is. 
John, is there anything else that you'd like to mention, whether it's about recapping the Governor's Youth Turkey Hunt, or are there any other events that the National Wild Turkey Federation is working on in Missouri this year that you'd like to highlight before we get off here today? Our mission, you know, the conservation of wild turkey and the preservation of the hunting heritage, you know, it's we serve both sides. So a lot of what we're doing on the ground, you know, I mentioned the turkey decline earlier in this interview, and that's it's real. And what the, the issue is, is pulse survival, and the pulse aren't surviving like they used to because the habitat's not the same quality that it was when we were setting harvest records 20 years ago. So that is where the majority of our fundraising is going to uh, work with our partners. We take every one of our dollars and turn it into five more through our partners, and we're putting that brood range on the ground. Once again, we've been talking with John Burke. He is a National Wild Turkey Federation's district biologist, speaking about the 14th annual Missouri Governor's Youth Turkey Hunt and also the main primary mission of the National Wild Turkey Federation. John, thank you so much for joining us on Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri. Thank you, sir. And if you enjoy this conversation and you want to listen to more or anything else related, please make sure to reach out and follow the Show Me Today, The Voice of Missouri podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Matthew. Huh? Oh, it's okay. I just need you to listen to me. I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. All the talks we've had over the years, including what you've told me about not using alcohol and other drugs, they stick with me. And believe it or not, they really do make a difference, especially at times that matter most. Hey, want a drink? No thanks, I'm good. So thank you, Dad, for talking and preparing me for what's ahead. Thank you for talking. For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. Meet Keith. Loving dad, board game champ, bus driving pro. I drive 65,000 miles in my bus each year. If people knew what I know, lives could be saved. Like how there are some things I simply can't see. On my route the other day, a car tried to sneak past me and ends up right in my blind spot. I turned slowly, so accident avoided. But no car should be in the blind spot for a 40,000 pound bus. It's, it's our roads. It's, it's our safety. Visit www.sharetheroadsafely.gov. Hi, Grandma. Can Nina come over for dinner? Sure. I've been meaning to ask you, what would happen if someone offered you a drink? Grandma! If anyone ever does, I want you to say, no, I have too much respect for my family and I don't want to get in trouble. I promise, Grandma. They really do hear you. For tips on what to say, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov. That's underagedrinking.samhsa.gov. This message brought to you by SAMHSA and this station. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and, and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. 
The United States Deputy Sheriff's Association is a national nonprofit and the largest non-governmental provider of services to law enforcement. The USDSA assists city, county, state, and federal agencies with free safety equipment donations and officer survival training along with cash donations to families of law enforcement officers who perish in the line of duty, college scholarships for the children of law enforcement, a citizen awareness program, and more. For more information on the USDSA and how you can help, visit usdeputy.org. Welcome back to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri. I'm Bill Pollack. Missouri all in for recreational pot after voters changed the state constitution to allow adult use. Ashley Bird is with the leader of one of the companies that is benefiting from the millions of dollars spent already on marijuana products. Jason Nelson is the CEO of Bee Leaf Medical. Where is Bee Leaf headquartered? Leaf was uh, a Missouri-born company back in 2016. They were, I believe, the only um, company to receive uh, the CBD licenses. So if, you, if you're around back in 2016, uh, the, the Missouri State did issue a CBD license. Leaf held that license and was producing Leaf's oils, which is a product that uh, we still work with, uh, fully CBD, so no THC at that point. Uh, and then what is it, uh, two to three years later, 2018, 2019, um, you know, uh, Medical cannabis or THC touching cannabis licenses, uh, you know, were starting to be issued. Beleaf had applied for and ultimately received five retail licenses to sell THC products to a medical uh, customer. And then likewise, uh, three production sites, two manufacturing labs and a transportation license as well. So let's talk about that. Where are you cultivating primarily across the state? Yeah, great question. Well, so as I mentioned, we were St. Louis born. And so right now that I have two production sites, uh, one down in South Benton Park, that's a full 30,000 square feet that uh, we've commissioned. We, we took over one of the old Budweiser buildings down there next to the Lemp Mansion. And uh, no, that's been a great relationship with that community. So we launched our production site there uh, roughly a year, year and a half ago, brought 60 jobs to that community. And, and that's been a great circumstance for us. Um, my second production site is in Earth City, um, you know, so just uh, outside of uh, St. Louis on I-70 out there in that uh, commercial district. Uh, I do cultivate there and I also produce um, our concentrate products. Uh, from that extraction lab that's on site there. And then my third production license is out in Jonesburg. So that's about, what, an hour out to the west of us on I-70 out there. Uh, and again, great, great bit. We've, we've got a, a production site out there. We've got a, a great local community that supports us. Um, and so that, yeah, that, that's where we're operating and producing currently. Let's talk about the biz a little bit. Uh, you began as a medical marijuana, um, company. Is that correct? Correct. Uh, and it's true. So it's it was similar in New York right now that sometimes uh, existing CBD operators, which Belief was, uh, when they apply for THC licenses in a medical program, they, they get a, a bit of a fair shake, right, or an extra look because they were legacy uh, operators in the space. And so you're right that, um, you know, Belief, amongst other operators, I, you know, as of right now, there's there's 60 other operators in the space in addition to Belief that are producing cannabis. There's also 200 plus other dispensaries that uh, are operating besides our, our suede dispensaries that all of us went through that same process of applying for those licenses, being awarded on a merit based uh, on an application process and have now been executing those licenses for you know, roughly two and a half years. And how sure were you? that the state would go recreational. I mean, that was an investment, right? And a lot of folks seem to have an idea already that the state was going to go recreational, but that was up to the voters. How sure were you in the industry that that would even happen? 
Yeah, great question. Well, so me personally having quite a bit of long-running experience in the industry and also experience in, in different states outside of Illinois and, and Missouri, um, what we've seen is that it's it's never a foregone conclusion that, um, you know, one, you can certainly get through a ballot initiative process and get it on uh, a ballot for a vote in the first place in front of the public. And then if you do uh, and are able to do so, it's, it, again, not a foregone conclusion that the public will pass it. Now, now that being said, uh, certainly Missouri had a successful medical program. You certainly saw strong patient engagement, good uh, monthly sales growth, month-over-month sales growth from medical patients. And, and truthfully, that we did. We deployed some resources and assets to be able to say, hey, listen, here's the, uh, the good things that will come from an uh, Amendment 3 in adult use cannabis for Missourians, whether it's tax dollars spent towards treatment of substance abuse treatment, education, public defender support, uh, the automatic expungements. You know, we, we spent a lot of energy talking about those things. And as we, we spent that, uh, those resources to do so, we watched it on, uh, the election night. It obviously did pass, but as we all know, it wasn't a slam dunk, right? I think it was a, you know, 52, 3%, 53% passage, which is certainly appreciated, but also to your point, it wasn't like, no, we, we had the utmost confidence coming in that it would pass, but, um, and, and we're glad it did. And we honestly accept the responsibility now to be uh, good stewards of, of adult use cannabis in Missouri. And, and that's part of my, my question. We watched that. We watched the election and we watched and talked to uh, voters throughout Missouri. Part of the concern, was that there would be some sort of stewardship because it was primarily written by the industry. The the bill itself, you know, was was a, about growth of the cannabis business and that they were concerned about safeguards and concerned about, um, you know, things that law enforcement would have to deal with, the same way you would with uh, adult use alcohol or anything else like that. What would you say to reassure the state that um, this was more than just a simple business decision? Right. Well, it's, I think to the case too, if it is, obviously it's an industry otherwise and, and, uh, beholden to, to business principles, right? And so what I would say is that, um, anybody who's approached cannabis normalization, certainly as I have or other business leaders have, um, what you can tend to see is that you really have these opportunities to layer in multiple, uh, benefits or upside towards normalizing an industry that doesn't exist currently, right? So, you know, even in a medical market, um, everybody was pretty clear that, uh, the pace, the population of medical patients is just a subset of cannabis consumers, right? There's a very large, in fact, a large percentage of cannabis consumers that weren't, uh, willing to enroll for the medical program, right? You have to divulge some of your information to the, uh, to the government. Uh, and truthfully, that's a, a deal breaker for a lot of people. And so what we could say, uh, is that, you know, businesses as they are stewards of normalizing cannabis, suffice it that they are including these types of provisions that one, target the, the business outcomes towards disproportionately impacted populations or communities, for example, that you, you do really start to take in these lenses of how do we manage this benefit? And then there is clear benefit to going in adult use cannabis, uh, far, which outweigh the, the downsides. To your point, um, you know, uh, any medical program as Missouri's was has to have those safeguards are in place so that we don't have underage consumption, for example, so that we don't, you know, make some of the, the mistakes that earlier medical cannabis or adult use cannabis markets did. And so that, that discussion, I think, is fairly straightforward. It's to say, hey, listen, we understand that as, as a business owner or participant within the cannabis industry that there's benefits of opening up and normalizing your purchasing population. 
the question becomes, then how do you funnel those benefits out to as many stakeholders as possible? And you do see that in cannabis where you have win-win-wins where, you know, I'm bringing jobs to communities that need them. I'm able to sell in my products to an increased population base. We now have new licenses that are being issued to support um, increasing diversity within the industry. And so you're right. It's a, it's a very open and thorough conversation. But what I can say is that it really is possible to do it so that you have multiple layers of benefits, uh, which Missouri is certainly experiencing now. You're listening to Show Me Today, the voice of Missouri, and we're talking to Jason Nelson, who is the CEO of Belief Medical. Uh, what about the folks who do use cannabis for medical use? Does that diminish its 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 importance, respectability, or anything like that? There are there are folks. Uh, there were a great number of older older Missourians who truly tapped into the medical market because of of what it could do. Um, sure. Does it? Are you concerned that it may d- diminish that, or does it matter? I, I don't know that it impacts them so much other than, I mean, imagine, uh, you know, a holiday that, that, say, is celebrated with traditional alcohol consumption. You know, specific days, you might avoid going out to a, a bar or a liquor store on those days because of the lines, right, just because of the, the tangible relationship to actually purchasing a product that day. And so, you know, the, the truth is, no, I, I think that most medical patients, hey, we, we've certainly made commitments in Missouri to make sure that they have consistent access uh, to the medication they've been using that uh, certainly at our suede dispensaries. Uh, all of our medical patients have not had any type of price increases since the adult use market is launched. So you're right. Suffice it to say that the medical patients still have access to their medication at the prices they were used to paying. I, I think they'd be fairly ambivalent towards 420, other than they might say, well, I might just not visit a dispensary that day if there's some lines or some excitement otherwise, unless they wanted to, you know, and go down and, and kind of share in it. But there, there's similarities in, in the way people perceive and, and certainly um, uh, even consume cannabis, whether you're adult use and or medical uh, as a consumer. So you're right. You don't want to disenfranchise those folks as they were a, a huge core component of the foundation of the medical program here in Missouri. Thank you, Jason Nelson, who is a Leaf Medical CEO. Thanks for being with us on Show Me Today and answering all my questions. We're the voice of Missouri, and you can also hear us in the podcast form, wherever you get your podcasts. It's Show Me Today. Jason, thank you for your time so much. Thank you, actually. It was my pleasure. Show me today.